Okay. As they head on into kid time, I want to remind you all that the last week we started this sermon series, The Gospel According to Willy Wonka. And our goal is to use this cult classic film as a parable that showcases some of the ways we disobey God. And the premise is that uh, the kingdom of God is like a magical chocolate factory run by a creative billionaire, and the only way in is with a golden ticket. Last week, we, we started with Augustus Gloop. Today, we come to the second child who disregarded Wonka's rules and warnings, only to end up puffed up like a blueberry, Violet Beauregard. And like last week, I wanted to, uh, to show you a clip of how we're introduced to the character. So let's see Violet Beauregard. And it can happen right here, too, unbelievable as it sounds, right here in America, where even in the smallest town, the happiest of dreams can come true. Because, folks, here she is, Miss Violet Beauregard, finder of Wonka's golden ticket number three from Miles City, Montana. And with her, the proud parents, Mr. Beauregard, a prominent local politician, a great civic leader, a Hi, friend, Sam Beauregard here, Square Deal Sam, to you with all of today's great giveaway bargains, the finest values you'll get anywhere in the entire country. Now, this little number on, right here is a four-door sedan. Thank you, sir. Violet, would you care to say a few words sure, to the nation? Here it is, golden ticket number three, and it's all mine. Tell us how it happened, Violet. Well, I'm a gum chewer normally, but when I heard about these ticket things of Wonka's, I laid off the gum and switched to candy bars instead. Now, of course, I'm right back on gum. I chew it all day, except at mealtimes when I stick it behind my ear. Violet. Pull it, mother. Now, this piece of gum here is one that I've been chewing on for three months solid, and that's a world record. It's beaten the record held by my best friend, Miss Cornelia Prince Metal. And was she mad? <laughs> Hi, Cornelia. How are you, sweetie? Let me just butt in here for a moment to say there's kind of you folks watching me. Okay, first of all, if, if, if you're a mom out there and your kid has ever said, Cool it, mother, like that, ooh. <laughs> I bet that didn't end well for the child. <laughs> now, from the beginning, as we look at this child, Violet Beauregard, she is depicted as this ultra-competitive, self-absorbed brat. Like Augustus Gloop, she is hungry, but not for food, for victory. She, I mean, if you, look at, if you remember the clip, she doesn't really even like chocolate that much. She just switched it out. She switched to candy bars so she could win this prize that she'll never actually use. Because all she ever eats is gum. And even in her gum chewing, it's less about enjoyment. I've never heard of a stick of gum that lasts for three months. It's not about enjoyment. It's about beating her friend and holding the world record. Now... Throughout the movie, as the movie continues on, they go through the tour of the factory, and they come to the inventing room. And that's where Wonka invents a stick of gum that will serve as a three-course meal. And Violet, wanting to be the first in the world to experience it, wanting to make a name for herself, the girl who tasted it first, ate the gum despite Wonka's repeated warnings. And the unfortunate result is that she turned blue, and blew up like a blueberry. Now in Violet, we see the sin of selfish ambition. Now Violet had great ambition, right? There's no question that she worked hard to be the gum-chewing champ. But her drive to be the best led to a great downfall. 
Why? Because she saw herself as better than others. She wasn't full of food. She was full of herself, puffed up with pride. And now her body reflected her spirit. She filled up. She puffed up and needed to be squeezed, to be humbled. As Scripture tells us, our first reading today, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And, and real quick, I, I just thought about this. Like When we think about the, the family dynamic that's going on there, no one in that family thought about the needs or interests of others. The guy, the father was just talking about his like, car deal or whatever, and she was just focused on herself, and even, and I don't, we don't really get to hear what the mother was about, but uh, it was not one where it was looking out for the needs and interests of others, just themselves. Now, underneath this umbrella of selfish ambition, we actually see two problems that are illustrated by Violet and they're often demonstrated by us today. The first problem is that ambition can make us bow down to the God of productivity. And the second problem is that we can work out of poor and selfish motives. Let's start with the first one. And that comes with this idea that ambition itself is good, but it can be twisted into a bad thing. So for Violet, she is constantly grinding and, and chewing gum for months on and long after the flavor was gone so she could win. And for us today, we've developed a culture where grinding, grinding out long hours of work, that's our path to victory. We call it the hustle culture. And hustle culture is, if you've never heard of that term before, it's a lifestyle that emphasizes a career or productivity so much so that other aspects of life are overshadowed or even non-existent. So Elon Musk, the, the founder of Tesla, he's a giant proponent of hustle culture. He once tweeted that nobody ever changed the world on 40 hours a week. He also mentioned that you need to work about 80 hours to sustain, peaking at 100 hours. He's even talked about having a sleeping bag in his office to maximize his productivity. And to be honest, there is a lot of good that comes from a hustle culture mentality. There's a, a lot of good that comes from it. Uh, in creation, God created Adam and Eve and gave them work, right? The work of caring for creation. And God has called all of us to be hard workers. He tells us in Colossians, whatever you do, work at it. Oops. Uh, yep. Work at it. There we go. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So we want to do our very best out of love for God and out of love for each other. And hustle culture keeps us on the lookout for activities that waste time or, or don't move that needle forward. Right? The mantra of hustle culture is always be producing. And so we're far less likely to veg out and watch Netflix for hours on end because the returns on that investment are negligible. There's a lot to be said about keeping distractions to a minimum and using our time wisely of working hard. However, 
all of that good that comes from the hustle culture can easily be soured. While it keeps us aware of, aware of time wasters and frivolous activities, we can actually start to see important things as frivolous. And so we make less time for our spouses, for our children, for our friends, because we don't immediately see the results of that time spent. And we start to sacrifice our relationships at the altar of productivity. And the same is true in terms of self-care, right? Physically, we stop taking time for exercise and we shave off hours of our sleep and we opt for convenient food over healthy food. Then emotionally, we refrain from sharing our feelings or expressing our needs because after all, it's far more productive just to take care of it myself, just to do it myself and to suffer in silence. And then spiritually, we give up devotions because after all, spending time in prayer, spending time in the word, that doesn't get the project done. That doesn't move the needle. And so we start to see all of a sudden these important things as wastes of time. You see that the issue here isn't working hard. We're called to do that. It's that we begin to see work as our only vocation, our only calling. And it's not. It's not even the most important one. The vocations or the callings of spouse, of child, of parent, of friend are all vital to God's command to love your neighbor as yourself. So it misses the whole point of the command if we're not doing this for others and we're not spending time with others. Because instead of loving God in obedience and instead of loving neighbor in service, all we do is become focused on serving and loving self. And to give up on those relationships in pursuit of success or, or a final product, that's selfish ambition. As scripture says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find Disorder and every evil practice. And so the first problem of selfish ambition is that we end up sacrificing what is really important to the God of productivity. The second problem underneath that umbrella is more nuanced. Because it's not the action itself as much as it is the motive behind the action. Because on its face, ambition is good, right? It means we're working hard to achieve a goal. Good. And as long as that desire and that determination is wrapped up in God's glory and not our own, then it is a good impulse. But all of us, those lines can blur. One day we're working joyfully for the Lord. The next we can be dominated by this idol of self-made success. So take, take Violet, for example, right? What's her motivation for getting the gum chewing world record? Just to beat out her friend friend. What's her reasoning for eating Wonka's gum? To be the first in the world to do it. To make a name for herself. It's all about her. Her motive is selfish. And Jesus chastises the Jewish leaders for this very same thing in our gospel lesson when he says, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? the Jewish leaders of the time, they worked hard and they kept the letter of the law, but their motive was to be glorified and praised by one another. So you'd be praised and looked at and admired by the people. 
It wasn't to glorify God. It wasn't to be in relationship with him. Their, their motive was selfish. And for us, it is a good and godly thing to dream big dreams and to make audacious goals and to work at it with diligence. But our motive can turn this godly thing into a sinful thing. Because if our goal is to build altars of wealth and fame and admiration and to seek our worth in our accomplishments, then that's a selfish ambition. And such self-aggrandizement has no place in the kingdom of God. Instead, our goal should be to utilize all these gifts that have been given to us to God's glory. As Christians, we should actually be more concerned with how our work reflects on God than how it reflects on us. And we should be far more driven to develop our skills for the sake of our neighbors than for our own sakes. So there's two problems we've been talking about, right? There's the bowing down to the God of productivity, and then there's working out of selfish motives. And often these two bond together so that we see busyness as a virtue. How are you? How many times have we asked that question? How are you? And our answer is busy. Busy. And all too often we start to wear that title like a badge of honor instead of as a confession. I'm busy. And we start to find our value in it. And we start to be puffed up by it. And to be honest, I feel like a total hypocrite preaching this sermon to you because I have fallen into this trap so many times. But perhaps you have too. Perhaps you also have taken that terrible word and used it as a badge. And so what is there for us then? Well, thankfully, God does not leave us in that puffed up state. For our two problems... He provides one solution in two parts. First, first part of that solution is when we are puffed up and prideful because of our productivity, he humbles us. He squeezes us with the law. As scripture tells us, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But I don't want you to think about this as a punishment. because It's not. It's not punishment. This is an act of love. If you go back to, to the movie, Violet is taken away to the juicing room to be squeezed so that she doesn't explode. It's done to save her. In the same way, God squeezes us, humbles us, not to punish us, but to save us from ourselves. It's an act of love. In those times of discipline, God is reminding us of our great need for him. And that's the first part of God's solution is the law. And the second part of that solution is found in the gospel. In Christ Jesus who takes away the sin of the world and redeems us who have so frequently disobeyed. Throughout his ministry, Jesus pointed people away from basing their worth or finding their identity in their own actions. And so for the, 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 Pharisee, uh, the, the tax collector who comes to the temple and sees himself as totally unworthy because of all of his terrible actions, Jesus doesn't say, yeah, that's right, you're a terrible person. Instead, he praises this man. He praises him because he's finding his identity not in his own stuff, but says, no, God, I need you. Then he takes the Pharisee who comes into that same temple 
who is praising himself and building himself up and is puffed up. And he gives critique. See, Jesus tells us to clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives and shows favor to the humble. So rather than finding our, our worth and our, uh, our value in what we produce, we find our worth in what Jesus was willing to do for us. Now, I'm no economist, but worth is based simply on what someone is willing to pay. Worth is based on what someone is willing to pay. That's why you've got, uh, we were just at a birthday party a few weeks ago with American doll girl, American, whatever. These American girl dolls that are obscenely, ridiculously priced. And, you know, we're looking at, like, what you can sell these things for now. And, like, oh, my goodness. Because someone is willing to pay for that. That's what it's worth because someone's willing to pay for it. So what are you worth? So that we would be his own, Christ was willing to pay with his blood poured out. He was willing to die so that we would live. So you're worth far more than just the sum of your product. You're worth the death of God's own son. That's what you're worth. That's your value. See, Jesus showed the opposite of selfish ambition. He showed selfless service. In humility, he considered the needs of others. Your needs, my needs. And in his death on the cross, Jesus humbly took the full punishment for our pride and for our selfish ambition. And because of his mercy, because of his grace, our sins are forgiven. Because of his love for us, our identity is not found in our work, but in his work done on our behalf. And so when First Peter here says, clothe yourselves with humility... We're putting on nothing else but the humble and obedient life and death of Jesus Christ. And that is what is counted as ours. We are counted righteous because of him. And now we hear the voice of Jesus calling out so that we no longer seek out glory from one another like the Jewish leaders did or like Violet did. Instead, we're called to practice the words of Christ. We seek the glory that comes from God. And what is that glory that comes from him? It's the gift of eternal life in his kingdom, which he's given to us through faith. That gift that comes from him is the assurance of knowing that we are in relationship with him, able to pray and being confident that we're heard, able to confess and to know that we are forgiven, able to serve and not need recognition. See, nothing keeps us humble like drawing near to the Holy One. And the more we love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, the more our work will be worship to Him. Now, I want you to hear me clearly on this. It's not, I'm not talking about stifling ambition, because ambition in and of itself is good. I'm talking about refining our ambition. Because all of our hustle and all of our dedication can be a great and glorifying thing if it's about honoring the name of God instead of trying to build a name for ourselves. And as we find out that the only way to, to fight this thirst for our own glory is to be consumed by His. And so may we be so concerned with the needs of others 
that selfish ambition fades away. May we be so assured of our name and our identity in Christ that we give up the quest to make a name for ourselves. May we rest in the truth that Jesus came to serve us and to suffer for us. He came to save us. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father God, as we reflect on the problem of pride and selfish ambition, we acknowledge our guilt to you. We confess that we often put ourselves and our goals above the needs of others, even the needs of our loved ones. There is a constant temptation to sacrifice our relationships at the altar of productivity. Father, we confess that we wrap our worth and our identity and our work instead of in Christ's work for us. In our pride, we can puff ourselves up. In our ambition, we can cast people aside. Forgive us for this. Forgive us for this and for every other sin that weighs heavy upon our hearts this morning. Remind us of your love and your grace in Jesus, that he humbled himself to die on the cross for us. And so we pray that you would have mercy on us for his sake. Amen.